so many of us avoid the stillness because we're afraid of the closet and what lies inside of that dark closet. And yeah, is there pain there for sure? But that's also where life lives. You know, like we have to open those doors and we can't open them unless we can be still. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hey, and welcome back, fellow rebel souls. I feel like we haven't talked in a while, but it's only been a week. I hope you're keeping up. I'm trying to keep bringing you some incredible guests. And as I always say, this one is not going to disappoint. Her name alone says, stop and listen. One, because she mostly just goes by Bronwyn. So she's one of those one-named wonders. She's like Oprah and Madonna and Cher, only she's Bronwyn. And she is a communications guru. She's been a communications coach for 20 years, even more than 20 years. And she has spent thousands of hours coaching some really, really important people before they have huge speaking engagements, ranging from TED to TED Global to TEDx to the Oprah Winfrey Show to the Home Shopping Network to CNBC and PBS and American Idol. And I mean, the list goes on and on, you guys. It's absolutely incredible. So we're talking, we're not talking small potatoes here. We're talking Bronwyn is like the go-to big shit, big kahuna communications coach in the world. And you're going to understand why after you listen to this conversation. She is brilliant in the way that she articulates in her energy and her personality and in the way she really understands how to pull authenticity out of people and how she helps people to fully connect with and engage an audience. And she gives us some brilliant tips in this conversation. And just for a little background, because I mentioned it in the conversation, Bronwyn and I met almost exactly three years ago from the recording of this conversation. It was out in Carmel, California, and we were at a writing retreat. Linda Sievertson, book mama, as she's known, runs a Carmel writing retreat, although poor Carmel is on fire right now. So I'm sending all of my love to everyone out there. And Bronwyn's actually in San Jose, California. And we didn't talk about it on camera, but her and her family are safe, although it's really scary and the air quality is, is horrific. At any rate, we're sending our love to everyone out in California and hoping that these wildfires get under control. Bronwyn and I had a just one of those meetings where you know you've met a soul sister out in Carmel at this writing retreat. She was working on a book called Shine, which she'll talk a little bit about her not yet published book because she's kind of taken a different direction. And I had this idea called Sylvatical based on the journey that I had been on. And they all told me, anybody who has read the book knows this, girl, you've got so much more than a book on your hands. This is a movement and a platform and a book is only one piece of the impact that you can have in the world. And here we are. I'm leading and running a business called Sylvatical and I have a movement called Sylvatical and a book out in the world. And now we are all coming together as rebel souls. And it's really brilliant. It all really traces back to, you know, not only the moment I walked out of the door of Harley Davidson almost four years ago, but three years ago when this whole idea of the possibility of what Sylvatical could be in the world started to crystallize. And Bronwyn was one of the women who was there and who really encouraged me and has been on this journey with me ever since. And she is her brilliance in the space of communications and what she offers here. You guys, this is like a free masterclass because we talk a lot about what's going on in the virtual space, how she's shifting her business virtually, some tips and 
ideas for how to really connect and engage with our virtual audiences. And, and then we, we round out the conversation by talking about what we're both going through being white women who are really digging into understanding our role in racial injustice and getting smart and trying to figure out what are our tiny steps of action that we can be taking and how we can be co-conspirators in anti-racism. And it's her story, which she tells on one of her podcast episodes is so powerful. And I'll tell you more about her podcast and what the episode's called in the conversation. So you'll have to listen in, but this is one you don't want to miss. There's so much juicy goodness and just being in Bronwyn's presence with her energy is a gift, let alone all of the little nuggets of goodness that she gave us in the course of this conversation. So I invite you to listen in, and I hope you love the conversation as much as I did. Here we go. Let's dive in with Bronwyn. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L.com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hello and welcome back to Rebel Souls. I love that you guys are with me again. Happy Monday if you're listening to this right when it drops. Happy any day otherwise. And I promise you, this is going to be a great one. I have with me, yeah, look, she's already doing the dance. And by the way, if you're not watching this on YouTube, on video form, you just missed the sexy dance from my friend. It's a bit of a shoulder a shoulder shimmy. Sorry, I called it a sexy dance, but shoulder shimmies are sexy. Let's let's be totally honest. Totally agree. Totally agree. So this, my friends, is a little preview of exactly how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> because this is what happens whenever Bronwyn and I get together. And as I said in the intro, she and I met each other, oh my God, it must be three years ago now, almost exactly three years ago. Crazy. Yes, in Carmel at Linda Sievertson's writing retreat. Oh my God. So first of all, welcome to the show. I finally oh get to pay you back and reciprocate from being on yours. It is so good to be here. I love the show. Congratulations on your podcast, baby. You have oh, given you. birth to a podcast baby and she's gorgeous. Can so, you believe I've yeah. given birth twice this year? A book baby in January and a podcast baby in August. I'm I busy. mean, you're on fire, honey. You are on fire. I think I need a break from the birthing process. Now I know how you moms feel. Well, you've had Irish twins, basically. Right. right. (laughs) I think I've even accelerated the Irish twin schedule. (laughs) That's what happens with immaculate conceptions. It's incredible. It's miraculous. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God, you guys, this is going to be such a good conversation. So buckle in. So I... Bronwyn want to start with my absolute favorite question. You already know what it is. We'll start from here and then we'll unpack and we'll see where the energy takes us. What are you rebelling for? Shelly, I am so glad you asked me that question because I love it. It's such a positive spin on a slightly irreverent question, which is my favorite kind of question. What I am rebelling for is authentic communication. It is my entire business. It's my obsession for the past 20 plus years. It is my purpose in this skin suit. I'm convinced of this. I am trying to change the way we communicate and advocate for the real us, not the us we think the world wants to see. Ooh, that is so juicy. And you know, that's all up my alley. And by the way, it's like the whole world is shifting around us. So the nature of how we communicate and how we connect is shifting. So I can't imagine a better time and place for the world to hear what you have to say. 
Oh, that is so kind of you. Yeah, it's it's a strange time to be communicating and connecting because we're doing that work in the least human way, which is over virtual meetings and on the phone and all the face-to-face juiciness we used to be able to rely on for connection is gone. So it's taken, it's definitely tested all of my theories in the most logical extreme form and they all stand. So what I'm about to share is it was true before COVID. It's even more true now. Oh, I love that. Okay. I want to dig into that. But I first want to give everyone a sense for, okay, this 20 years, like you have a hell of a resume, girl. When you say that you've been doing this communication thing for a while, we're not talking like, oh yeah, you've kind of been, you know, off playing in this little sandbox. We're talking like you coach people on their TED Talks, their TEDx Talks, going on to the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, this is like big ass shit. Can you (laughs) tell us? a little bit more about like, what does that mean? Like you're a communication coach. So tell us a little bit about your background and then we can dig into the juicy, like what can we learn from you? Yeah. Well, I came to this work through public relations and I had kind of the reputation of being the person you call when someone's got to really bring their A game, either on camera or on stage or with the reporters, with the press. And a lot of times in the early days, it was, I was being brought in because I was working with these, these tech people who were smart and lovely, but boring and flat. And the bigger the stage, the bigger the audience, the less that flatness would play. And so they're like, get Bronwyn in here. Let's let's see what she can do. And that work, I think the reason I built that kind of reputation is that fundamentally I know that there's no such thing as a boring human being. Like it's just not even a possible, there's no scenario I can imagine in which a human life is boring. So then I began to study, okay, well, let's pretend if we say that boring boring communication style, someone that's flat or lifeless or dull or whatever adjective you want to use, let's assume that scar tissue that has built up over a wound. And that wound is somewhere along the lines, that person got the message that they were not enough or that they were too much or that they were for whatever friggin' reason, unacceptable. And so they dialed it back. They dialed it in. They flattened it out. They tried not to be the tallest poppy because that's the one that gets lopped off, right? And so my work has always been following the the sort of thread of what takes a brilliant glittering soul, to use your language, and creates this dullness on stage or on camera in front of the room. And so my whole career is built on that question and finding answers that work for each person that I work with or for each you know audience I try and speak to on my podcast because I think life is too short for us to be anything less than our dazzling self, whatever that is. We're not all extroverts, but we can be dazzling in our own unique way because it's what we are. And that's, that's just been my life's work. And it brings me a tremendous amount of joy, as you can imagine. I love it. And you're so effing good at it. And I love your signature line is shine on you crazy diamonds. Pink you say, yeah, it's so, I just love, but it's so perfect for what you do. And when oh, you and I you. first met, you were writing your book called Shine. That's right. That's right. And the book actually became the podcast. Yeah. And interestingly, and I don't know if this is going to be interesting to your listeners, but I'll just say it quickly. What I uncovered in the writing process that I embarked on with you and the, and the rest of our little writing tribe is that my writing was very stiff. Ironically, this is exactly what I help people with spoken word. My written word was too stiff. So in order to find my voice for the content, I had to get a microphone because that's my, that's my natural happy habitat. And now when I go back to finally write the book, it'll be so much better because I've, I've figured it all out on my own podcast, that voice and, and the flow and all that stuff. So while the book isn't out yet, Shelly, the whole thing started with Carmel and became a podcast. It did. It did. Well, I remember, I don't remember thinking that your writing was stiff at all for what it's worth. However, my experience of you and how dynamic you are 
is the full experience is this. The full experience is seeing you and feeling you and hearing the energy in your voice and your use of language. So that all makes complete sense. And by the way, I love that you said that because for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about writing a book, but the idea of putting pen to paper or fingers to keypad is really intimidating. Listen to exactly what Bronwyn just said. It's very powerful to speak into a voice recorder, speak into voice memo on your phone, get in front of a microphone and then get that shit. I was going to say translated, but what transcribed, transcribed. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Huge. I remember hearing that Brene Brown does that with her books. A lot of times she will actually gather her core peeps and riff and it gets recorded, it gets transcribed or whatever that process. But I remember here, I don't know if that's apocryphal or if it's real, but I remember hearing that that was her process. I thought, well, God, if if the genius Brene Brown first speaks something into reality and then it becomes written, maybe that'll work for me. So thank you for the encouragement. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think she actually, what she does is she puts post-its on a wall, gathers everybody in the room and then talks through it and records it and sees what lands. And then literally in real time is like shifting it around. I remember her saying something like that. I know. So I think there's a whole other, there's a second conversation you and I are going to have, which is going to be around writing and the writing process. And we can go deeper into our story and our experience. I talked about a fraction of the experience in my book because it was such a pivotal moment when you guys looked at me and you were one of the people in the room was like, girl, this is, yes, it might be a book, but this is a movement. Yeah. This is a platform That's like right. you and I spent that whole time like coming up with the lexicon for yeah. sabbatical yeah. and all the things. And I'm so grateful for that. And I've loved that we've been on this journey together, like creating our magic in the world. It's so okay. Good. So I'm going to bring us back to communication because yes. there's, I have been able to, well, so when I was, I'll tell this story to everybody who's listening. For those of you who don't know, I applied for a TEDx talk, TEDx Chicago, that was actually going to be in June of this year. COVID completely blew that to smithereens. However, I did not get selected. Shoot. That's okay. We, you know, these, these are the things we go. And by shoot, I mean shit. Yeah, by shit. (laughs) I have to tell you, like it wasn't, it stung for a second. And then I thought, well, it's just not the right timing. Or it's not the right event. It could be another TEDx. Exactly. And you know what? I found that out. And within one week, the entire world implodes. COVID is a reality. We're locked in our homes. And I thought, oh, okay. They're not even going to have anybody on the stage in June anyway. I don't even think that they've yet decided what to do. So anyway, I give that as background to say, as I was preparing to think through, well, what do I want to say on the TEDx stage? What version of the sabbatical story do I want to tell? I reached out to my friend Bronwyn. And I was like, listen, girl, I know people pay you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for this genius. Can you help a girl out for an hour? And you took me through something that was like a framework that was so incredibly helpful. So I, what I want to know, going back to the story you told mm-hmm. that there, humans aren't boring. That's and that right. oftentimes it is, it's pulling it out. So mm-hmm. let's talk about like, how would you start with somebody like me? How do you start to pull out that, that juiciness and that personality and that authentic and vulnerable story? Mm-hmm. And then where does it go from there? Because I think this is helpful to people. Yeah. And this, what I'm about to say is true across the board for any kind of communicating. This could be for a TED talk. This could be for a board meeting. This could be for book clubs, could be for PTA. It doesn't matter. And where the work of authenticity really begins is, let me back up. My definition of shine, right? When somebody shines, two things happen simultaneously. One, they can hold the full attention of an audience, which is no small thing right now because attention spans are basically in free fall. And while they're holding the audience's attention, they can be completely themselves, completely unapologetically themselves. So when you ask me, where do you start with someone? I start with the audience always because you can be as authentic as fuck 
I'm allowed to curse oh, on your podcast. One hundred percent. We've okay, got an you. E on every episode. Thank you. Me too. It makes it exciting. Tipper Gore is just freaking out. I'm right. sure. Anyway, the point is, oh, we always, always, always start with the audience because you can be as authentic as I'll get out. But if you aren't delivering a message that moves people, so what? Great. You're authentic. You have moved me. So what I always begin with is I ask people to get into what I call magic mystery box thinking, which is a, totally stole it from J.J. Abrams' brilliant TED Talk about creativity. And it's getting yourself into that mindset of magic where you're in a field of possibilities. It's like, it's like being in a quantum field where you could just close your eyes and ask, hmm, who are these people and how might I dazzle them? Mm. How might I give them something that will change the way they see themselves, the world, the topic, whatever? And I always ask people to drop into that expansive place because you know the first thing people want to do is they want to start writing a script or they want to open PowerPoint or they want to do some stupid thing that does not get them into magical mystery box thinking, right? So step one is to get into that expansive state of how might I do something extraordinary with this audience. So that step one is that mindset. Step two then is to really think about whatever it is you're doing in, I like to call it a three act format. What is your jumping yes. off point? Literally, you have precious few seconds before the audience like eye rolls and grabs their phone. I mean, it's, and now because we're all virtual, it's even like more, it's easier for people to pick it up and just, you know, be scrolling without well, do it, doing it off camera. Like I've imagined yes. before as I'm giving Zoom things, like how many people, because like right now I can have my phone in my hand, which I did just for demonstration. Yes. And you wouldn't even know that I'm sitting here like scrolling, exactly. which I and, would not do to you. Well, and vice versa, but it's, it, it, that's the reality. I mean, that's simply, we can argue about whether it's rude or not rude, but who cares? It's real. It's real. Yeah. So we have about 10 seconds to signal to the audience that something special is about to happen. And so to me, that's act one. So I always ask the person I'm working with, what is our act one? What is our jumping off moment? How are we going to earn the attention of these people? And a lot of times that's with a story or a scary statistic or a joke or something. Act two is the meat of the message. What really is the core that you're offering these people? What is the juice? And then act three is what I call the sublime close. Like, right? How are you ending up into the right energetically? And underpinning each act is an emotion, right? Are you surprising them in act one and making them curious in act two and then sending them off feeling inspired in act three? So the message needs to be grounded in emotion. Why? Because we remember the emotional dimension of an experience better than anything else. And that comes from Brain Rules, one of my favorite neuroscience books of all time. Wait, is and it Brain Rules, you said? Brain Rules, John okay. Medina. O-M-G. That book was so far ahead of its time, and it only gets truer by the day. Okay, we're putting so, that in the show notes because I yes. also have not read that. And I oh. feel like I'm geeking out on neuroscience lately. So just saying that, you already were like... <laughs> I was like yeah. sucked in. Okay. It's so, so powerful. So, you know, not to get too far into the weeds here, but what I'm, what I'm hoping the listeners can get from this is that authenticity for its own sake is just an ego trip. Hmm. Authenticity in service to the audience's needs, that's when the electricity happens on stage or in front of the room right? So yeah. once, you know, and there's a lot more to that whole process that I just described, as you know, but once that's done, once we've got a narrative arc, once there's an architecture for the experience you're about to deliver, whatever that is, then we start looking at, well, who's the, what version of you is doing the talking, right? And if we've done the first part right, and we've got a narrative arc that just rocks the party, that rocks your body, generally speaking, it brings out the best in you, but not always. There's still that small part of us. And so if the first half of the equation is getting it so that the audience will pay attention, the second half is making sure the right version of you is giving the talk, meaning hmm. there are two versions of us. Little me and big me, as Eckhart Tolle says, right? Little me is the ego. It's scared. It feels less than or it feels greater than or it thinks the sky is falling and we're about to be kicked off the planet. Little me operates on fear. 
But fight, flight, or freeze. That's it. That's exactly right. But big me is just there to help. Big me is there to serve, is there to connect, is there to delight, is there to make a difference. And if big me knows how to come forward, I mean, it's, it's a match made in heaven. But I've, I observed when I give this, you know, I, one of my main talks that I was giving all over the place before freaking COVID hit that I'm now giving virtually. But I always begin this talk by, you know, asking my audience, what brings out the best in you? And I have people talk amongst themselves and, and they always come back and they say things like, I'm at my best when I don't feel judged. I'm at my best when I'm under a crazy deadline. I'm at my best when I've had nine hours of sleep. I mean, you could go down the list. We all have our, I'm at my best when's. And then I ask people, okay, well, think of yourself on at work. Think of yourself when you have to give a presentation. Are any of those things the case? Like, in other words, how often are you at your best? when the pressure is on and it's a career-making moment? And the answer is not a pretty answer. It means most of us are not at our best when the moment arrives. And so my belief as a coach is that if we are waiting for the weather, and I'm using quotation marks, to be right, to bring out the best in us, we're leaving money on the table. Like that's not good enough. As a coach, I'm not comfortable with that kind of result. We need systems for conjuring up big me and big you on demand, not just when we've had nine hours of sleep, not just when we're speaking to an audience that loves us, but all the time, right? Yes. So that, that's like, that's the most exciting part of my work. I love the, you know, narrative planning and putting together a talk that kicks ass. I love that. But I really love setting someone up with systems that bring out their best on demand. That just it's- makes my heart sing. It's so powerful. And this is where your work and my work intersect. This is the beautiful part of where our coaching comes at it from the inside out. 100%. And everyone who's listened to me, read me, who knows me, knows that that is what has revolutionized my own journey in the past four years. And I know it's I know it's a big part of your world too. So wait, can we use a personal example? I'm super curious because- Yes, of course. Do I've heard you talk about tapping into your highest self, your highest creative self. You call it your Xanadu, don't you? Yes, I do, girl. (laughs) Which I absolutely love. And P.S., it always makes me think of my sister and I roller skating in our basement to Olivia Newton. (laughs) Wait, dude, do you know I was roller skating with scarves flowing off my neck in the driveway? Like, what is it with the roller skate? Because it was a roller skating movie. What do I mean when it was roller skate? Of course. Well, and it's also, it's, you know, we're products of our generation. Come we on. Sure are. Proud, proud. Oh proud, exactly. So when you are wanting, like you're in creation mode, you yeah. are, you know, outlining your next podcast, which is brilliant, by the way. Anybody who's Thank not you. listening to 20 Minutes with Bronwyn, like, please go add it to your library. Just trust me on this one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll put it in the show notes as well. So when you're preparing for that or you're, you know, writing or creating a script or whatever, what do you do Mm -hmm. from the inside? Like what are your systems that you could share with us? Well, I have a couple. I think there's a, a predisposition that is worth noting. And that is that I have become really good at paying attention to what moves me emotionally or how I'm feeling in a moment. And if I'm having a super high or a super low or a super fear or a super whatever the emotion is on the emotion wheel, I pay attention to that because I know that while I am special in my own little snowflake way, I'm also not humans are all kind of going through the same stuff by and large. And I know that if something moves me to tears or moves me to clap or moves me in any major emotional direction, it's usually something that will resonate like a tuning fork with other people. So I actually have a spreadsheet called Homework for Life. I have taken that concept from another brilliant book that you absolutely have to drop everything and read called Story Worthy by Matthew Dix. And he's like an award-winning moth storyteller. The guy's just a genius. And he believes that, you know, all great material is lived 
And we have to train our brains. It's a cognitive skill to be able to identify a moment or a thought or an experience or a story and then use it as material later. So every Friday around four or five o'clock, I pour myself a cocktail. I get out my story grid and I go, what stories would I tell my friends over dinner? Oh my what God. Story, so you're what? reflecting on that past week. Yes. So you do this, girl, you're blowing my mind. I'm oh, I, I mean, I'll idea. show you. If we could screen share, I'll show you what it looks like. And what it does is, or, or, so what would I tell my friends? Or what made me furious? What made me cry? What strange little detail that I, did I pick up on? I mean, there's, it's, it's, what's crazy is in the moment, your brain, your editor, your ego will say, oh, that's a dumb detail. You don't need to include, dude, include it. You can always sift through it. So then what happens is I'll pull up, I'll be like, okay, I got to plan a podcast. Now I just go back to my spreadsheet and I go, huh, what am I observing here? What are the trends? What's happening? What's in the zeitgeist? What conversations am I having? And when I'm in that magical mystery box Xanadu moment, it, the muse is right there. You know what I mean? She's there. But I have a backup in the form of a story grid that I can always pull from. Always, always. Did you say you call your story grid stories for life? Homework for life. That's what Matthew Matthew Dix calls it that. And I love it because one of the things that I love about it is that, you know, great art comes from paying close attention. And that grid forces you to stop and pay close attention. Yeah. And it's, you're reminding me of something I thought about when you were talking about how you draw like the humanity out of all of us. I was thinking about how much of that has to do with our willingness to be vulnerable. Oh, yes. Right? Like to just to tap into another Brene topic, one that I know you and I are deeply steeped in. And I was just thinking as you're saying that, and as I'm thinking about this homework for life and what are these stories, so many of them, like as I can imagine it, are ones where it's like, I was vulnerable or I witnessed somebody being vulnerable or it was in a vulnerable situation that created a deep connection. So I'm just wondering, do you see that as kind of a a theme or a pattern in a lot of what you do as well, like pulling out the vulnerability in people? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And, and the, yes, I think, you know, she would call it vulnerability. I'm starting to really call it more humanity because vulnerability implies like that we're exposed and that there's danger in it. And I think as more and more of us get smart about how shame and vulnerability work, we can begin to leave those labels behind and just recognize it's just our humanity. So while it feels a little excruciating, as she says, to share in that moment, once you start really leaning into it, it's no longer feeling vulnerable. You're just leaning into your humanness, you know? And that to me feels a little bit better for some reason. I don't know why. It's interesting. I like thinking about it that way because what you just said is it's dimensions of our humanity. And I think it's us. Write that down. Can we get a TM on that baby? I mean, (laughs) drop some dimes. Beautiful. I think that's what's building off of what you said. I think there's so much power there because we all have access to all of those dimensions. And yet sometimes we don't know how to access or we are scared of accessing or our ego is getting in the way of us accessing to all the points you just made. Right. And so telling a good, being a good storyteller and engaging with an audience requires us to access multiple dimensions of our humanity. That's right. And we're really we, beautiful. We've gotten really good at reaching for social media or alcohol or sex, drugs, rock and roll as a way to avoid our feeling. But as a communicator, as a storyteller, as a performer, as a podcaster, you can't make art. You can't say anything original or interesting if you are only ever numbing out the big feelings that lead to the art itself right? So I work so hard because I am such an Instagram addict. I mean, I am an Instagram addict. And I, I, is my business coach, Ben Kiker, who you've got to have on the show. He's a genius. Every, he calls it, he says, what do you lunge for? We're all lunging for something. And for me, it's Instagram. It's pretty. I can see what Cardi, what ratchet thing Cardi B's doing today. You know, there's so, but I have to stop and be like, the answer to your creative question or your next episode isn't in your freaking phone, girl. Put it down. Feel the feels. 
So yes, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. When I do think like this magical mystery box thinking, the only way to access it is to go inside. I talk a lot about slowing down, getting still and listening deeply. And it seems to me that like, those are the beacons of the path that lead to, you know, the, the creativity, the lead to the understanding of yourself and your story and your ability to express that. That's it. And so many people, I think, avoid it. Like I think of the story of your recurring nightmare in, in Soulbatical in your book. And so many of us avoid the stillness because we're afraid of the closet and what lies inside of that dark closet. And yeah, is there pain there for sure? But that's also where life lives. You know, like we have to open those doors and we can't open them unless we can be still. The other thing that I've, I've noticed, which I think is such a trip, if, if I've learned anything in quarantine and this whole COVID craziness is I have had to really reckon with the fact that, I don't know if you're the same way, Shelly, but with so little going on, there's no trips to take, there's no events to speak at, there's no restaurants to go to, at least where I live. I am alone with my thoughts. And I did this exercise the other morning where I woke up. I made my coffee, I sat down, I opened my journal, and I wrote down every thought I'd had since I woke up. And Shelly, they're the same goddamn thoughts I've been running for years. You didn't wake up early enough. You, you know, you checked your phone when you woke up. You're not supposed to do that. You didn't have, you know, your kid's oatmeal ready when you woke up. Like the negative self-talk I'm only now realizing is happening to me. I don't think I would have been left alone with those thoughts until COVID happened. And one of the great gifts of this experience is that those thoughts influence how I communicate. Like if I'm berating myself within 20 minutes of getting out of bed, how do I talk to my kids? How do I talk to my husband? How do I talk is is basically how I talk to myself. And so one of the great opportunities, communication opportunities right now is to re is to decide, you know what? It's time for some new thoughts. These thoughts are boring. They're mostly negative. What are the new thoughts and how's that going to change the way we talk to each other? Because we're starting to, we're starting to see like the first wave of COVID. We talk to each other with love and light and we're in this together. And now it's getting tense. People are getting testy. So I would love for people to start noticing first hour of the day. What are you saying in your head? What are you saying to yourself? You know, like if, what did you say to yourself this morning, Shelly? Oh my God, I was walking. So I decided to walk. Actually, you know what? I had positive talk this morning. Well, no, that's not true. So it started out with, oh my God, your stomach is now muffin topping on stretchy pants. (laughs) (laughs) So it did start with that as I put on my camo... I camo workout pants. Yoga pants. We're all living it, girl. I'm still... And then I was like, how is it possible that you can muffin top in stretchy pants? And then I had a thing about that. However, after that, I was like, okay, now you're definitely walking to your appointment. And then I walked to my appointment and then I started to feel really good. And then that got me in a good place because I find that one of my avenues out of negative self-talk is to start moving to get back into my body and out of my head. Amen. And so I know, and I know you're a big big physical activity, workout, exercise person. And so I almost always try to do my exercise in the morning because I recognize how important it is, even if it's a simple walk, which oftentimes that's what it is. It gets me out and moving and I'm really thoughtful about what the input is. So sometimes I will just walk with earbuds in my ears, but nothing playing. So I can be in my own headspace and nobody I can, expects you to talk to them. Nobody expects me to talk to them, or I will put in some of my favorite podcasts. Like I told yeah. you before we started recording, I was listening to you this morning. I love that. And so that's what I do, but I'm really thoughtful, or I will call a friend or somebody I genuinely want to talk to, but yeah. I'm really thoughtful about what happens in the first two hours of my morning. That's Beautiful. not to say negative talk doesn't happen, because let's be honest, it does. And I just gave yeah. an example of what my, one of my like bully loops, right, Oh, bully loop. Yes. I think I put that in the book. I know the bully loops, they're a bitch. And by the way, to get to your, the bigger point that you're making is we are all so good at distracting ourselves, right? And busying ourselves. And one of the other things I said in the book that I I feel like I say this every day to myself and others, busyness is a bitch of an addiction. Oh, it's terrible. You're so right. 
you're so, it gives us this false sense of purpose and it's not purpose at all. It's just motion. Well, it's the doing over the being. And in the coaching community that I'm a part of, we're working on a lot. You're not just one or the other. However, when the doing becomes greater than the being, you need a reality check and you've got to check back in and really get reconnected with yourself. And so I believe that. And I think that's something for everybody who's listening to, to take away. It's like, you know what? We often, I think, call ourselves lazy and we beat ourselves up when we don't have, you know, a checklist, a to-do list a mile long. Often the most important things we do in our day are never on a to-do list. A hundred percent. Right? They're on our to-be list. How are we being and how are we showing up? I love that. Maybe we should do that. I have my, oh, I thought I had it around here somewhere. My very favorite little notepad, it says shit list at the top of it. But I'm like, oh maybe God. that should be the to-be list. To-be list. I love that. In fact, I, I did this in IGT. I do a lot of, I just started doing IGTV channels and I've got some series started. But I wrote yesterday, not that you can see this, but this is what I'm lining up with today. Patience, presence, and love. Screw I did perfection. See, I right? love it. I did see that. And I think it's so powerful. By the way, I do a lot of, I have a little stack here somewhere of my orange post-it notes. And you've probably oh, heard me say this. Color. Yep, of course they are. Oh, by the way, I have to read you the quote that's on this one. I was on the phone with a woman. She's the host of a podcast called The Only One in the Room that I'm going to be recording in September. We were having a conversation and she gave me this quote that we all need to know. I'm sorry for the rude interruption to your story. No, please. Faith isn't jumping from A to B. Faith is simply jumping from A. That is so good. Boom. That is so good. And it's I so true that. because we're like, oh, well, I can only jump from A if I know what B is. And how, That's not how it works. Exactly. Not always how it works. Yeah, I totally. No, but what, That's beautiful. But what I love is that I often use these to do the permission slips in the morning and ask myself, like, what do I need to give myself permission to do, to not do, or to feel in order to show up as my most authentic and powerful self today? Oh my God. Permission slips on post-it notes. How, how am I not doing that every day? That's, I'm, I need to, I need to reconnect with that concept. You're a genius as always. Well, do you know what? It's it was inspired by what you just shared because your presence, I forget it was patience, presence, presence and love. patience and love. Yeah. Yes. And not and screw perfection felt like a permission slip to me. It, so you're kind of doing it anyway. I, but I permission slip feels so much more fun. It feels kind of naughty. Well, you know what? It is sort of like, and some days it's just like, I give myself permission to like fucking take a nap. I know. You know what? I know. Like, so, I mean, to like round this back out to the whole point, it's like, there's so many times we beat ourselves up for what our body is craving, yeah. for what we know will help us for, you know, for just wanting to take a break, to simply be, to sit That's still right. and listen. And these are the things that I think we've been conditioned for, mm-hmm. from when we were tiny that like, well, that's not being productive. Then you're not a productive member of society. We torture like, ourselves. We torture ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. I want this to be a reminder to everybody who's listening, like give yourself permission, permission to be and sit still and move your body and take breaks and take naps and all the things, because isn't this going to help us get to Xanadu, Brian? A hundred percent. And if everyone was in Xanadu, there would be no war and no hunger. And I'm convinced of this. Well, I want to live in that world. Me too, with our roller skates. I agree. I <laughs> the agree. roller skates, our scarves, and our, let's have our yes. details. A hundred percent. Oh my God, this is hilarious. Okay, so you mentioned that you're now giving a lot of your signature talks virtually, which yes. most of us who are you know, speakers of some sort, we're all doing the same thing. I attended one of your webinars, which was freaking brilliant because you were even, I've used this so many times. So I'm talking to you right now and anybody who's watching the YouTube video can see yeah. this. I'm actually not looking at Bronwyn on my screen. I'm looking directly at my camera and she is the person who taught me how to make eye contact on your freaking computer. Yep, that's right. And you're nailing it, girl. You're nailing it. Thank you. I have the best teacher ever. (laughs) 
And I wanted to highlight that as one really simple thing where I was mm-hmm. like, well, duh, it kind of yeah. rocked my world. So what are some other tips like that, that you can mm-hmm. share, like where we can really connect as best as possible as humans through this technology? Because that, yeah. that eye contact one, I've taught to everybody I work with and it, I feel like it's rocking worlds. It's powerful. It's super powerful. And there's, there's so many different ways I can take this, but I'm going to give you a tip that, uh, you know, that has really helped me, especially when, so for example, if I'm giving a talk and I'm kind of running it, like it's my, it's my party and I'll, you know, do it my way. I hate how awkward the first few minutes of a Zoom or a WebEx are. It's like you're waiting for people to join. Everybody's on mute. The cameras, you know, you've got a visual of everybody's nostrils. Like it's this real, it's like dead space. And to me, a Zoom room or WebEx or whatever, it's still a room. And that room gets imprinted with energy, some kind of energy signature. And if you don't take responsibility and imprint the energy you want on that Zoom room, what gets imprinted is like, ugh, this is so boring. Another Zoom meeting. All I want to do is go stuff my face with Oreo cookies, whatever it is. So what I do is I like to signal, again, first 30 seconds, something special is about to happen. So I ask, as people are joining, to answer the question of the day. So for example, I gave a workshop to a big ad agency in San Francisco. And the question I asked them as they were joining, who was your celebrity crush, your first celebrity crush when you were young? And what I love about that question is you got the gamut. We had like the old gals like us dropping Sean Cassidy and Neil Diamond and all those peeps. And then, you know, you had the, the, the people from the LGBTQ community who had theirs that were totally interesting and different and cool. And then you had the, the dudes. I mean, it was so much fun. And by the time five minutes had passed and everybody was on, the vibe was killer. It was fun. People were connected to each other. People that worked at the same company for many years were looking at each other like, I didn't know you were into Farrah Fawcett. Holy shit. Right? Like it was so fun and joyful. So that when I began, that was like the soil was so ready for the seed I was about to plant. Whereas usually it's like we're dropping seeds on hard clay earth that aren't receptive. So yes, making eye contact huge, but set the energy tone if you can by asking the question of the day. And if people are into that, every Thursday on my Instagram feed, I do a question, a conversation starter. And I've got, I don't know, 10 or 15 of them now. And they're so much fun and borrow them and use them. So that's my other tip. Can you, that is so brilliant. And that question is brilliant. Can you give us two other of your favorite questions? Because I can see using this one right away. Yes. The other one, the one that I just used for a virtual talk I gave last week, and it was with teachers. I said, if you knew that you couldn't die or otherwise get hurt, what insane activity would you choose to engage Mm in? And one of the most like introverted, sweet, you know, front desk ladies that work at my kid's school. She's like, you know, I'd go to Mars. And I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. I never would have guessed you would have said Mars. Like, how cool is that? And, you know, the principal who's very, you know, very sweet, very proper. She's like, I would go bungee jumping. And I mean, it just went down the line. It was so much fun. So I love that one. The other one I love is what was the first movie that ever made you cry? And if you can't remember that, what is the last movie that made you cry? And of course, we had like E.T., Old Yeller. <laughs> it was so good. Was I'm so totally good. picturing E.T. right now. That's exactly like this like the little moment. Yeah, the little like, I'll be right here. Like I, yeah. So, but what's so cool about that, or oh, another good one that's a lot, that's less intimidating if you have a really quiet group is what are you binge watching right now? Mm. People love to talk about their favorite shows. And it gives people things to bond over. Like I'm a Westworld fan. And if there's people on that call that love Westworld, boom, it's like they are now my BFFs. And people get to do that with each other in their various shows. So that's another 
That's another one I love. That one seems particularly apropos for the times we're living I in. Mean, where the Hollywood is not going to be able to catch up to this, like this freeze this, in production and this oh binge. My oh my God. I didn't even think about the catch in up. In content. Factor. Oh my <gasps> God. I was just listening to a conversation the other day and it's like, how long do you think Hollywood's going to take to catch up? And the honest answer is no one knows. No one knows. It's never you, happened. Yeah, it's never happened. And do you start putting production crews, uh, you know, for entire in shows in quarantine yes. and bubble together so you can yes. start some shows share sets and then how do you do that? And it gets all complicated. So, oh, but I do God. think about that. I, and here's, here's the downside. I wonder if it means we're headed toward a lot of, a lot more reality TV. Oh, barf. Sure. I know that barf. part, that part really just kind of like made me go, oh no. Or maybe we'll dig deep into the archives. Like I know somebody mm. I did a Zoom call with a couple months ago said she was watching every Academy Award winning best picture film ever. And she was starting at the beginning and just going all the way through. Like maybe we'll just go deeper into the archives. I don't know. Yeah, it's so true. I have to admit that I was one of the few people who did not watch all of West Wing. So I went I never back. Okay, so I've gone back and I've started the series and I'm just realizing like how freaking good it is. It is so good. I mean, it's it started so, so many careers. When you look at all those people like Allison Janney and so many people yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, we could probably do a whole other episode yeah. on this. So exactly. I want to talk about one more topic, I guess you'd call it before we go. So we've talked about, you know, COVID and how it's shifted so many things for us. And you've given us some brilliant tips. Now I want to get a little bit more personal and you and I, I know I've talked about this a little bit, but I re-listened to one, a particular episode of your podcast this morning, and it was around your experience and how you were coming to terms with racial injustice mm -hmm. and your own personal mm -hmm. journey and going, holy shit, yeah. I'm a part of this system. 100%. And it was one of the most beautifully articulated, just experiences, right? Because we're all struggling with this. So many of us are, are doing the work. So many of us are peeling back the layers of like, oh shit, I didn't see this. Yes. And I don't want to be this person. And I want to be an anti-racist actively. Yep. yep. And the way that you described it. So can you talk about your Bruce Willis mm -hmm. moment and just share your journey? Because I think it's really important for us to understand from each other how we're going through this and how we're waking ourselves up. Yeah. Yeah. God, thank you for listening to that one. Twice. <laughs> Shit. I mean, yeah. So the reason I called that episode my Bruce Willis moment is that, and if you haven't seen the movie The Sixth Sense, I'm about to ruin it. So you might want to fast forward. But basically the premise of the film is that Bruce Willis is a child psychologist and he gets called in to work with this little boy who quote unquote sees dead people. Right. And the whole movie we're watching this poor child be terrorized by, by dead people, by ghosts. And, you know, Bruce Willis doesn't really buy that he's seeing ghosts, but he wants to help. So he's really trying to help. You know, he's really, really trying to help. And at the end of the movie, you realize that Bruce Willis is dead. He is one of the ghosts that is haunting this little boy. And so the whole time he's trying to, quote unquote, be an ally and help, he is the problem. He is part of the problem, despite all of his best intentions. And to me, that is what the George Floyd murder and the subsequent, you know, uprising in this country has taught me for my entire life. I have never, ever thought of myself as racist. I have always thought of myself as an ally. And yet now that I've done the work of, you know, me and white supremacy, I mean, there's all the books that we're oh, reading Rachel right now. Rachel Cargill's work. Oh, Rachel Cargill. Yes. Who I'm now, you know, I'm supporting her via Patreon, which is another thing I didn't realize. We can't just consume people's content for free on Instagram. We need to support these women and men teaching about racial injustice. Anyway, I, I never thought I was a part of the problem. No way, no how. Then I started reading those books. Then I started doing The Great Unlearn with Rachel Cargill. And I realized that my entire psyche my entire worldview, my entire, the fabric of my reality is white centric. I don't know anything about African history. I don't know anything about what it's like to be a woman or a man of color in this country, aside from, you know, a passing consumption of pop culture. 
what I realize is that my ignorance and my insistence on centering the white experience is every bit as damaging and devastating to the black community as active racism is. And that to me was the gut punch that it's not enough to have good intentions and it's not enough to, oh, I would never use the N word. Like, honey, that is table stakes to really be anti-racist. You have to dismantle the white centricity. So, you know, one of the most striking things that occurred to me is I, I just happened to be doing an intern search when this whole thing blew up. And when my friends were like, well, what do you, you know, who are you trying to hire? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to hire kind of a mini Bronwyn that'll, you know, be my right hand. And the, the whole uh, thing, Black Lives Matter broke up. And I was like, wait a minute, this is precisely the problem. White people keep hiring themselves which is why we don't have social mobility in this country, which is why the boys, you know, are at the top of the heap and the girls are still trying to scratch their ways in. And so I remember thinking like, I have to consciously look for someone that looks nothing like me, the most talented candidate. And I'm going to consciously attempt to hire someone that looks nothing like me. And I ended up with a very diverse pool in the end. Mm. And I hired three very diverse, you know, one, one person looks like me, the other two look nothing like me. And they were the three best candidates. And I couldn't just choose one, so I hired all three. So my, my point in saying this is that it is humiliating, embarrassing, shame-inducing, and sickening to wake up and realize you're the Bruce Willis, to wake up and realize that you are absolutely part of the problem. And I think too many of us are not interested in doing that work. We're yeah. just not because it's ugly. It's really hard. I started with me and white supremacy and doing that 28 days. And I'll tell you, it's like, it was very rare that I wasn't in tears. Me too. Right? I mean, just, I mean, her questions are so pointed and thought provoking and true. And true. And she's gentle, but direct. She's not letting you off the hook. I mean, I felt physically sick doing some of those exercises. I did too. But for anybody who's listening who hasn't done that, I think that is, for me personally, going through Layla Saad's Me and White yes. Supremacy, which was originally a 28-day Instagram program yes. that became this book that yep. every you go through a chapter where she's giving you perspective, and then you go through some really gut-punching yep. questions, reflection questions for you. And if you yep. really take the time to do the work, you start to realize a lot of what Bronwyn is talking about. And obviously I'm having this conversation. I have a diverse audience. I'm having this conversation with other fellow white people. Yeah. 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 This, and this, that's, that's, that's the thing. And I love what you said about Patreon. That's what it is, right? So that's the platform where you are now paying to consume the content and be yes. educated, yes. right? Yes. Okay. And there are benefits to it. Like you get, a, you know, exclusive access to things and there's all kinds of reasons to do it. But one thing that really struck me is that, and, and my friends who are in, from the black community tell me this is absolutely the case. For us, we go through Instagram and we see another, you know, there's just the latest one this week of another, you know, father who is, you know, gunned down by police. It looks like he's going to survive. And for us, you, you know, you and I look at that and we get outraged and we repost it and we're like, what the hell is wrong with this country? But for my friends who are black, watching that is like being punched in the stomach physically. They, you know, it takes them down. And the work of educating us white people about how not, how to be allies is fucking exhausting. It's fucking exhausting. And yeah. they need to be paid for it. And, yeah. you know, I I think that they're what they're asking for is very reasonable. I mean, I can't remember offhand what Rachel's is, but it's not a lot of money. And it's the fucking least we can do right now. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Because it's another form of supporting Black-owned yes. business, right? Yes. Because that yep. is a business, right? That's their their intelligence, their life experience, their creative product in the world. Yes. Right? Yes. For so many of these, for so many of them who we are learning from right now, yeah. we're learning a lot from. And I've seen several of Layla Saad's posts recently mm -hmm. where she is helping people get clear on what her real book looks like, her book and her workbook, because she's being written off makes me sick 
I mean, it, it makes, makes me either. sick because people are seeing that this is what's shooting to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. This right. is what we're buying. And it's like, oh my God, it just crushes me that somebody would now step in and try to take advantage of that situation. It's so I guess it's a, it's a reminder for all of us. Yeah, let's, let's pay for this education that we're That's getting. It. Let's take, it. it's, it's, I think it's one of the many tiny steps of action yep. that we can take towards anti-racism. That's right. And it's, you know, we're also, especially if your listeners are anything like me, you know, I'm all about nutrition and I'm meditation and I'm constantly trying to get better and improve. This needs to be part of that. Becoming anti-racist needs to be part of one of the facets of that diamond. Like self-help is a whole lot of bullshit if we're racist, you know, if we're upholding white supremacy. I mean, that ain't, it's got to include that work. It just has to. And it's unpleasant, like at least with meditation, like it's a pain in the ass and whatever, but you, you reap so many benefits out of it. On peeling back the white supremacy and peeling back our own institutional sort of subconscious racism, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. We have to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and, and just like any pain, move through it so we can do something about it and move forward, right? Because the whole idea of us leaning in and becoming co-conspirators is so we can change the fucking situation. That's right. And we can't be fragile. We got to have some thicker skin, you know? So some of it's like being able to sit with that pain and move through it because it's nothing compared to the pain that our, you know, brothers and sisters of color are going through. So amen. Thank you for asking me that, Shelly. Yeah, no, no. I appreciate it. And I know, I think you said this in that episode. And by the way, anybody, if you want a starting place for 20 minutes with Bronwyn, which is Bronwyn's podcast, start with that. It literally is called my Bruce Willis moment. I think it's only like 20 minutes long, but I think it is some of your deepest, most vulnerable storytelling. It was really powerful. I I told you, I listened to it in the moment you, but you dropped it. And then I listened to it again this morning because I was like, oh my God, I just so connected with you and with that, with that journey. And I think you said this, and I've said this as well. I was just had just started recording podcast interviews when we were reminded of racial injustice through Breonna Taylor's, you know, yes. murder and George yes. Floyd's murder and on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I have a platform. I have a voice in this world. And what am I going to do with this platform? And I've made a commitment that I continue to uphold and and will, and I'm super excited about some of the guests I have coming up to say, yeah. this is a diverse forum. This is a forum where we will have black and white and brown and men and women and gender fluid and all of the things. And I especially like I realized how many amazing friends of color, particularly black women I have in my life who I want to raise up and you know, give them this, this platform. And I want to introduce them to the world and their work to the world. And so that's one of the commitments, one of the tiny action steps I've made. And I think you said the same thing about yours. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And to that, two Mm. white women talking about this, but I'm glad we're at least in the work together, sister, because absolutely. It's hard. I think the white women got to talk to each other and educate each other because we, we can be a huge force for good. We can also be a force for not good. As we see on social media, there are some white women, white women terrorizing out there. So we got we to gotta help each other become a little bit more awake. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's, and you know, for the the white guys who are listening, it's not just about us women. You happen to be listening to two of us, you know, yapping on right now, but it's all of us. And I I love the way you articulated that. So thank you for sharing your, the, what did we call it? The dimensions of the human, the dimensions of humanity. I feel like that was- Yes, dimensions of humanity. It should be our band name, Shelly. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> uh, you sing. By the I way, do. the thing you haven't yet learned about Bronwyn is she's a killer singer. <laughs> oh, a killer thank you. singer. Will you have, have, you, have you been doing any of that virtually? No, I haven't. Been. I mean, I've been playing a ton of guitar and just trying to, you know, entertain myself. But there, I mean, I, in, in fact, our my band, my cover band that I'm in, who I just love so much, shout outs to the Bent people. Um, we're having a band meeting on Thursday night, socially distanced in the backyard. But there's, there's no that, music to be made. Is that code for cocktails? It like is getting together. A- hundred percent cover. And for some of us, it's code for, you know, pot smoking. Let's be honest. I'm not one of those folks, but God bless them, you know? Oh my God. I love that. Well, 
that's yeah. fun. It's a way to connect. Yeah, I know. I love, I don't know what I would do in our band Dimensions of Humanity, but like the cowbell and the triangle yes. and yes. those things are probably within the realm of <laughs> Yes. And you'd be the one that would be like, are you ready to rock Cleveland? That'll that's be your job true. too. That's yeah. true. Oh my God. It's really, really funny that you just said Cleveland because, oh, here's, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. And now it's like recorded in history forever. Oh God, tell me My everything. sister and brother-in-law are laughing their asses off as they're listening to this right now. I can promise because our code word for getting stoned when we were younger was <laughs> going to Cleveland. <laughs> favorite thing I've ever heard. Isn't that the best ever? And the fact that you were just talking about like your band smoking pot and then we're going to rock Cleveland. And I was like, that is not a coincidence. That was your past self making a little cameo. That's amazing. Going to Cleveland. Yeah. I don't go to to Cleveland anymore. I pretty much just go to vineyards. (laughs) Me too. I don't go to Cleveland at all. Cleveland and I don't get along. I I wish I was one of those people that could do it. It looks so relaxing. It just has the opposite effect on me. Yeah. Well, I was getting on a plane from Park City. So I'll I'll close with this. I was coming back. I went and spent a week in the mountains and it felt so refreshing and my head is clear and my soul is soaring and it was amazing good company just good to get out of the city and another friend of mine happened to be there at the same time so he and his son came to have lunch with my friend and I they drove me back to the Salt Lake City airport and as we're nearing the airport after by the way having had rosé for lunch so I had like a nice little buzz going before I was getting back on the airplane girl. he says hey I've got some gummies in the back <laughs> like, oh my God, I think even if gummies were something that were in my repertoire, doing that before getting on the airplane with a face mask would not have been bad call. Bad call. No, thank you. I'm like, yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. Tripping out on the airplane when they're about as strict as they've ever been. No, thank you. That would be like in Bridesmaids where she like busts into first class. Oh God, that's hilarious. Exactly. It was so funny. So so anyway, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you for three more hours and it would be a party. I love you dearly. And I'm glad that things like this keep bringing us back together. Like we will always be in each other's orbit. And it was so fun. I'm so excited that my people, Rebel Souls, get now to know Bronwyn. You know what? I always try to say your last name. And I, I, you know what? I'm dropping it. It's like Madonna or Gaga. Okay, good. You don't need to even worry about it. Usually, for the record, but it's just too hard to say. Seglin Benny is how you say it. I did know that. I just trip over it every time I say it. You should just call you B. Yeah, <laughs> that works perfection. for me. Okay. So works you can call her B, you can call her Bronwyn. Where can people find you before we wrap this whole thing up? Well, they can, what I would suggest is go to my website, bronwyncommunications.com, B-R-O-N-W-Y-N. Sign up for my newsletters because I sent, I put all kinds of fun stuff in there. Oh my God. Coffee and clerps is my Saturday Saturday one. Oh my God. My fave. And so get, so get that going. Podcast, anywhere you can get podcasts, you'll find me. And Instagram. Instagram is where it all goes down. My stories are always behind the scene. I just launched an Instagram channel where I do coaching on the fly and all kinds of good stuff. So those would be the ways to to find me. And it's been such a joy talking to you and your your soul rebels and the greatest soul rebel of them all, Shelly Paxton. Thank you, my dear. It feels good. I feel like I'm back home doing this. It feels so it. natural and fun, and it's quickly becoming my favorite part of my work in the world. And I'm so glad you joined me. I love it. I Thank love you, it. sister. I love you dearly. And thanks to everybody for listening. I hope you I hope you got a few chuckles out of this one. Like I know there were some good nuggets in it, and I also hope you just got a good belly laugh or two because Amen. exactly. It's exactly. been a good day if you can get a belly laugh in. Exactly. Hey, it builds abs. It's the closest I'm ever going to get to six pack is my laughter. That's the only way we should be trying for a six pack at this point. Exactly. And on that note, love you all. Bye. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylvatical.com and follow me at sylvatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, 
brave and badass and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?